0: This morning is simply Seek the Lord and Live. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 states this. It's something with which you probably have some degree of familiarity, although you may not know that it comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. This is what it says What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done because there is nothing new under the sun. This proverb is true. It's not only true because it's found in the Word of God. It's true because we can see it historically and experientially. The things that have been done are going to be done again. True, there may be some different circumstances in which these things happen. Our technology might be a bit different, for example, but one thing has remained the same throughout history. Say amen if you're listening. God made men and women upright, but they have sought out many other avenues of faithfulness. We're going to get straight to work today. Our first point is this, the Lord's lamentation. This is found in verses one through three. The Lord's lamentation. The scripture says again, hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel, fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, none to raise her up, etc. The Lord's lamentation is our first point. Now, first of all, we see God's lamentation over the people's sin. If you've been with us any amount of time at all, you know a few things already. You know we're in the hear this word section of Amos' prophecy. We see it in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and now finally, chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word. It's like Amos is saying, you've got to listen to this. It's important. In this particular case, the final hear this word prophecy, we see that it is the Lord speaking, he says, in lamentation. You know what lamentation is a lamentation is something that expresses grief, sadness, and sorrow. The text is showing and teaching us that God looks down on the state of humankind and he laments. It's amazing how tolerant we've made God in our philosophies today. It's amazing how he allows everything, how he permits everything, how he understands everything. And interestingly enough, God's allowance, permission, and understanding always seem to be around truth and falsehood, right and wrong, and we always seem to be on the winning end of that equation somehow some way. Our philosophy's never been toward woe is me and glory be to god. It always seems to bend a little bit towards shouldn't god be helping me out in this situation after all? As when the so-called pastors advise the adulterer, I think god would want you to be happy. Does God want us to be happy? Well, that depends. Of course God wants us to be happy, but God wants us to be happy in him. God wants us to look at all the pleasures in this world and say, no pleasure meets the pleasure I have with my relationship in Jesus Christ. Does God want us to be happy? Of course. God's aim is not necessarily to make us miserable, Although some challenges make us unhappy and uncomfortable, those challenges are designed by God to make us more of what he has created us to be. The end game is always pleasure. The end game is always joy. But it isn't always the way we think it is. Hear this word I take up over you in lamentation. When the Lord looks down on us, He laments over the sinful condition we live in. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you sorry for your sin? Or are you just sorry that it created a mess? Are you sorry for your sin? Or are you just sorry that you got caught? There's a lot of that going around these days. Are you sorry for your sin or are you sorry that it didn't work out the way that you anticipated it would? Are you sorry for your sin, your break of moral fortitude and righteousness, your departure from what is holy and good and just? Are you sorry for your sin? This is a simple question, and it's a simple question that leads to what we sometimes refer to as the first point of the ABCs of the faith. This is pretty rudimentary, probably, for many of you, but you know what the ABCs of faith are. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is God's Son and died for your sin. And C, confess him to the world. In other words, live a public life with your Christianity. The first point of these ABCs of the faith is that we admit that we're sinners, and we have a major problem today because we've got a group of people, generations of people, who are ready and willing to ascribe sin to other people, but who are unwilling and unready to own any sin of their own. Well, that's not Christianity, church. Christianity begins with some responsibility. Sure, someone may have wronged you, led you into temptation. At the end of the day, however, your spiritual responsibility and your relationship with God weighs on no one else but yourself. We have to, you and I, if we would be Christians, admit that we're sinners. Believe that Christ is God's son and died for us and confess him to others. Friends, acknowledging our sinfulness is the first step toward a reconciled relationship with God. You don't admit you're a sinner, you're not reconciling anything. This is basic to Christianity. And by the way, it's something that we must maintain throughout our fellowship with him. Sure, we repent to establish our relationship with God, to be reconciled with him through his son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have redemption and forgiveness and love. We say amen to that. But our attitude of repentance should be humbly maintained throughout our lives as we live with gratitude under his grace. You can always tell a Christian who has forgotten to repent. Repent. You can always tell a Christian who has left humility behind, because they start talking like Pharisees. They start talking like lawyers. Wait a minute, that T's not crossed. Wait a minute, you forgot it. You forgot to dot the I. They start to become overly critical about secondary and tertiary things. The gospel is not about that. The gospel is about humility in the grace of God, because you and I, say amen if you're listening, we don't cease to be sinners after we repent and come to Christ, amen? Amen. Dimey will tell you, I'm not a perfect man. And I will tell you, she is not a perfect woman. We have to maintain an attitude of humility in Christ And if we lose that attitude of humility, we have to reassess ourselves and go, do I have a repentant attitude or am I getting arrogant? Have I allowed myself to get hard in the grace of God? And have I allowed myself to look at other people's sin and start to say, well, at least I don't sin like them. When God looks down upon his people in their sin, it says he brings a word of lamentation. But in spite of our humble attitude and his grace of repentance, we don't walk around like we're bruised and broken. Amen? When we are in the grace of God and we are in Christ, there should be joy. There should be satisfaction. Absolutely. Sure, we remember that we're sinners and we are what we are by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. But, But still... There's joy and there's happiness. I love what one author says. He says, Scripture requires us to believe that there is such a thing as assurance and that in God's ordinary providences, it is intended to be the common experience of his people. Let me translate that for you. If you are a Christian, you should feel confident that you're saved. Now, you might fall down in the mud and get filthy dirty, I love what the proverb says, a righteous man falls down seven times and gets back up again. It's not an issue of whether or not you will sin, beloved, you will sin. It's an issue of whether or not you like it. It's an issue of whether or not it doesn't disturb you. If you sin and you are not disturbed, you have a major spiritual crisis going on in your life. It is either that you are not a son of God or that you are so numbed that you have to renew a conviction in your life about the things that you once had conviction over but have lost. I'm sad to say that I think we have a lot of Christians in the church today who live there in that sort of numb state. Sin doesn't bother them. God understands. The last time they felt conviction was at their conversion, and they left it there, never to pick it back up again. Friends, once we repent and are adopted into God's family, we maintain an attitude of repentance, not because we're ashamed of ourselves, etc., but because we are God's children, And a gentle humility under the sovereignty and holiness of God is healthy. It's healthy. Let's remember God's attitude towards sin. Let's remember that when God looks down from heaven on his people, if he sees sin, it grieves him. This leads to our next point. Verses 4 through 17. We looked at the Lord's lamentation. Now, secondly, let's look at the sinner's salvation. We end on an up and not a down. Just to begin a few verses, it says in verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely be going into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire. Jumping down to verse 8, He who made the Pleiades and Orion turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night. Verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks truth. Verse 12, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. Verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be Subjunctive there is important. It's possible. It's not guaranteed. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious. Now, our second point, the sinner's salvation, has many sub-points that I want to share with you. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. I've put a lot of heavy things on you already, so let's take a breath. Okay, here we go. Second point, the sinner's salvation. This is a long section. We're going to break it into points, as I mentioned. First, I want you to note, we should follow the Lord's commands alone. We should follow the Lord's commands alone. Seek me and live, he says. Do not seek Bethel. Don't enter into Gilgal or cross over into Beersheba. This command, namely to seek God, echoes in Scripture. Write these down. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me, says the Lord. When you seek me with all your heart." How much? All of it. One commentator says the word seek here means to turn to him and trust him with confidence. In other words, we must seek the Lord with a dedicated pursuit, with priority, and with passion. He is our alpha and our mega. He is our first and our last. He is everything in between. And if we are going to seek him, then, as the end of this verse tells us, we can't also go to Bethel and to Gilgal and to Beersheba. In other words, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve God and government? Will you serve God and vaccine? Will you serve God and Fauci? Will you serve God and Fox? Will you serve God and CNN? Choose this day whom you will serve. The reference to Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba, like chapter 4, verse 4, reminds us of the fact that the people associated these locations these cities with God because these cities had historical meaning to their people in regards to their relationship with God so it became a historical site it became a cultural site a cultural acceptance but while God did awesome things there a long long time time ago, they couldn't return there and move into the future. They couldn't rely on the past to help their present. These cities had become little more than a spiritual crutch for them, and these cities were still there, but their relationship with God wasn't. Church, say amen if you're listening. Don't expect your past addresses and past experiences to sustain your faith in the present. Don't expect your past addresses and your past experiences to sustain your faith in the present. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, there are plenty of people who said, oh, yeah, I used to do missions trips. Oh, yeah, I used to serve in my church. Oh, yeah, I remember volunteering one time when we did this. And the Bible says, oh, that's, real. That's, that's good. That's nice. What are you doing now? Oh, every man will talk about what he used to do. But who can find a man who's still doing it? You see, that's what God is trying to get his people to expect. Namely, that they can't find a relationship with him in a city, regardless of the city, regardless of the location, if their relationship isn't intact everywhere all the time. And we do this sometimes, don't we? There's nothing wrong with saying, I need to go back to church. You do need to be in church. You do need to hear the word of God preached. You do need the fellowship of God's people. You do need these things. But can you have a relationship with God outside on Monday, on Wednesday, on Friday? You can come in and out of these doors 10 times a week if you want to. But if you aren't humble under the grace of God, receiving a relationship with him, this building, 10301 Caribbean Boulevard, it can't do anything for you. We are here. We will open the word and we will pray for his blessing and we will take it line by line. But this building cannot be for you what only God the Holy Spirit can be. Church, don't expect past addresses and past experiences to sustain your faith in the present. Second, we should seek the Lord because he's the creator. Look at verse 8 with me. It says... He who made the Pleiades and Orion, these are constellations in the heavens, and turns deep darkness into the morning and, the, and darkens the day into night, etc. calls the waters, tells them to pour out here and go no farther, etc., etc. We should seek the Lord because he is our creator. The Lord is our creator, and he's not only our creator, he's the creator of all things. Psalm 33, verse six. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, that is the stars. The universe exists. You are alive because God said so. This verse is acknowledging God's sovereign creation of the universe from nothing, by the way, from nothing. By the very word of his mouth. Psalm 100, verse three says, "Know that the Lord, He is God. He made us. And we are His." Someone once said, "God made man in His image, and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. It's a tragedy that we bring God down so many levels. And we need to be careful as Christians not to do that. The Scriptures teach us that we should be humble under God because he's our creator, the creator of all things. When we arrogantly and stubbornly refuse to submit to the Lord, say amen if you're listening, we are guilty of cosmic treason. When we rebel against God, we're rebelling against the ruler of the universe. This is not our universe. This is his universe. He doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. He's the one that put Orion where it belongs. He's the one that put the Pleiades where they belong. He's the one, Isaiah 40 says, has named every star in the galaxy. And there are consequences to cosmic treason and rebellion against the ruler of the universe. Third, we should beware of the consequences of living a divided life. We should beware of living a divided life and the consequences of that division. Rewind just a little bit to verse seven. Oh, you who turn justice to wormwood. That's bitterness and cast down righteousness to the earth. Look at verse 10 now, a little far a little farther down. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. So on. We're in an interesting time. Not only is 2021 an interesting time socially, it's also an interesting time Spiritually, We, as Christians, are being inundated by a number of options that we are forced to accept as an alternative to God's word. The Southern Baptist Convention, unfortunately, is not exempt from this. Church, right and wrong, are in the eye of the beholder here. That's what God is saying. They cast the righteous to the ground. When someone preaches justice at the gate, they tell him, shut up, man. We don't want you talking truth in public. That's what in the gate means. He's standing at the gate saying, God is coming because you're a sinner. And they go, shut that guy up. Truth is abstract now, it's preferential. It's personal. Truth, so they say, is whatever some might say that it is. So we have theories galore and philosophies running amok that are rampant in our universities, in our high schools, and throughout other areas of our lives like entertainment and media. Some of these are just the common ones. Darwinism. Critical race theory and its cousin, intersectionality. Others like standpoint epistemology, which says you can never know what I know because you don't stand where I stand. The proponents of these positions would have us filter our faith through these lenses before we can do any kind of ministry at all whatsoever. I say, brother, no we don't have permission in the Bible to filter God's truth through any theory. I don't care if 15% of it, 20% of it, 80% of it, or 95% of it is accurate. We take theories and we filter it through the word, not vice versa. We are to test all things by the word of God because the word of God is the barometer of truth. Now, I'm not saying theories that come down the pike can't contribute something here or there to the conversation. What I'm saying is, is, do we really have that much time on our hands to consider other theories? When our faces should be in the Word of God learning and meditating on the Word of God. You know why we chase after so many theories? You know why we allow people to entice us toward the theories? Because we're not dedicated to the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is sufficient. I believe that anything you or I need to know physically, socially, spiritually, is answered for us in this book. And I believe we depart from this book and go after theories at our own risk. Here are some verses I want to share with you. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Solomon says that God's word is truth. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus says God's word is truth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, if there's any question among some of you, I pulled one out of Revelation because I know how you love your Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, the Apostle John says that the Word of God is, quote, trustworthy and true. Do you get the gist, church? Do you get the gist, church? You don't need another theory, man. And you certainly don't need the world telling you that you need this theory because let me tell you what we've learned from the last 40 or 50 years of Darwinism. It's introduced as a theory, and creationism is nowhere to be found. You don't have an option in school. You don't have an option in biology 101 on the campus of your college. It is simply Darwinism. There's no creationism. They have eradicated it from the textbooks because you only have two options. Either somebody created us, and that's how we ended up here, or there was a fantastic accident working against all the laws of thermodynamics. And the second law of entropy against their own laws? How can they have and assert theories against their own laws, which are proven, which are tested? The answer is simple. We only have two options. Either somebody created us, and that's why we're here, or we evolved. And if you don't want a God, you hold with all your ridiculous, non-scientific strength. To evolution and it's not any different when it comes to anything else that we're facing when God is not in the conversation you've got to conjure up some theories you got to conjure up some philosophies some ideologies to pass down the pike listen the bureaucrats up there in North Florida they're not educators these guys are politicians those of you who are teachers, I know we have many teachers, you know that what they pass down five years later, they go, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Because they're not educators. They don't know what they're doing. They're bureaucrats. They're politicians. They're appeasing the people that put them in office, and then they're passing down the pipe what they need to have happen for a certain amount of time until the re-election passes, and then they shift on you. And then you've got to jump through hoops again to teach the kids a different kind of math. You cannot trust this world. You cannot trust the philosophies of this world. You cannot trust the secular realm and its worldview as it's passed to you. You have to say, I'm not filtering God's word through that. I'm going to filter that through the truth of God's word. We don't shape our faith according to our persuasions. We don't shape our faith according to our preferences. We shape our faith according to the Bible. We judge everything according to this scriptures. We determine if something is useful or not, to a degree or not, dependent upon what the truth of God's word. teaches. Christian, We must commit. We must commit with resolution and determination to living with both feet in the kingdom of God. Both feet. We can't compromise or accommodate our convictions and beliefs by seeking God and culture. In essence, living with one foot in both worlds. Seek me and live, but don't bother going to Bethel. We don't accommodate. We can't accommodate. We are called to stand resolutely and firmly on the truth of God's word and on his word alone. In some respects, we're dangerously close to looking like a group of people who can't make up their minds about what they believe. The apostle Jude once wrote, I found it necessary. What was that last word? I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Church, I'm wondering if we lost our fight. I'm wondering if we lost our teeth. It used to be that the church of God used to know how to fight a good fight. Now everything that comes down comes down with such a loud amount of volume. We just kind of back off. We don't want anybody's feelings to get hurt. We don't want anybody's emotions to get jarred. I'm not saying run people over. I'm not saying to be rude and nasty. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say be rude and nasty. But the Scripture does say to fight the good fight of the faith. Amen? We've got to speak the truth in love and put our feet down on certain issues. We don't have to do it ugly. We don't have to do it disrespectfully. There should always be in our conversation empathy, understanding, patience, gospel.